Welcome to Medicus, a student-run podcast about any and all things in the world of medicine. Follow along as we interview outstanding individuals about important topics in healthcare. Hey guys, welcome to Medicus. This is Alec, and I'm here with my co-host, Mara. Hello, everyone. We've released quite a few episodes of Medicus now, and it's been great to see the response so far, so I want to thank you for listening. Yeah, I mean, like, have you been able to, like, fit studying in with doing, I mean, I know we had, like, break. That's kind of the challenge that we face in medical school, because, yes, we are here to learn and go to our classes and do well in our exams and work towards that goal, but you also need to enrich your experience with things outside of the classroom, so things like this that that are fun and, and you also learn from it is really important. And it's, it's kind of tough sometimes because working on the podcast is more fun than listening to a lecture. <laughs> so I know I have lectures to listen to, but yeah. it's, sometimes you put those off a little bit. Yeah. Do you do anything else other than outside this? Yeah, I'm part of a few other student groups here that I've kind of fallen into in the last year. Um, I'm part of a group that works over at the VA. So our hospital is right next to a VA hospital and I am part of a student group that volunteers there. We're paired up with some veterans who are in long-term care at the VA and that's a really great experience so far. I'm part of our hospital medicine interest group because that's something that I'm passionate about um, increasing education and development for students around hospital medicine and people who want to pursue a career in hospital medicine. It's important to have things outside of, of class that really um, keep you passionate about what you're doing. What do you do outside of class? Um, well, so I mean, I wake up 5.30, then, you know, go study for like two hours, then take it. No, <laughs> I mean, like, I guess like outside of class, um, I'm part of a group, it's called Fresh Start, um, and we really uh, focus on helping people who have been previously incarcerated at uh, the Salvation Army's halfway house, so that's where they're stationed at now, um, and they kind of get counseling from us um, for free counseling, and they go through the program, and we kind of try and help them make uh, healthy decisions and, and stuff like that, and, uh, and goal setting and stuff. Um, and that's really rewarding because you really get to see a different side of medicine that is like, or just like a different like life outside of like, you know, like the hospital and like you really get to hear like these like kind of terrible stories of like how these people came to be where they're at and I don't know, it's just really revealing and that's why I like working with these, uh, this population. And then I also am like a part of a different, uh, a couple different uh, specialty groups on campus and I still have no idea what I want to do. <laughs> so um, I, uh, I come in, in involved in uh, a lot of those groups on campus as well. I do some uh, admission stuff, uh, promoting like the mission here. Yeah, just kind of like a bunch of different things. I always feel like I'm filling my time with something. Yeah, <laughs> like, me too. like and it's just not lecture. <laughs> right. And I'm like, oh, we have a test on Friday. I yeah. should get down. I need to cram. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I don't recommend that to anyone. Don't cram in medical school. You have to like study every day. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> yeah. Well, today our guest on this episode is a fellow student who, at least for the time being, is lucky enough to not have to balance her schoolwork with her extracurriculars because she has taken a year off between her second and third years of medical school to serve as a member of the American Medical Association's federal advocacy team. This is awesome. So Blake is the only medical student in America who holds this position right now. It's a one-year position and her title is Government Relations Advocacy Fellow. I think it, they call him a GRAF. That's the acronym. So in her role as a GRAF, she's representing all medical students at the national level. She's participating in advocacy for current issues in health and graduate medical education. We were lucky enough to catch her while she was in town here in Chicago. So we now have the chance to hear more about the work she's doing and learn about what it means to be a policy advocate and learn a lot more about how we can all get involved. So Blake, welcome to Medicus. It's great to be here. Thanks for coming. So um, can you just tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you came to be where you are at today? Absolutely. So um, I am a third year uh, medical student or in between my second and third year uh, at the Stritch School of Medicine. And um, um, I'm born and raised in Chicago. So I actually grew up in like the Wrigleyville area. So by Wrigley Field. Um, I went to high school downtown um, at Walter Payton College Prep, and then I was one of those like 
I was definitely one of those high school students that wanted to get as far away as possible and ended up at Northwestern, a good like seven miles away from my <laughs> parents. And then I got into med school in Chicago here at Stritch. So it's a lifelong Chicagoan at this point. That being said, I took, I took three years off in between, uh, in between undergraduate and medical school. Um, which really, I think, allowed me to not only live an adult, uh, an adult life for a little while, but um, I got involved in a clinic system called Oak Street Health here in Chicago um, that's a Medicare-based clinic uh, serving a patient population that's not only um, a little bit older but tends to be underserved in a variety of neighborhoods in Chicago. So I not only worked as a primary care scribe, but I got to work also um, on their medical economics team. So I got to see kind of the ins and outs of... Uh, care delivery from the other side of uh, the other side of I, I guess healthcare in general. So I came into med school knowing that in order to practice medicine um, and in order to participate in healthcare, it wasn't just um, learning how to diagnose and treat patients. There's a lot that goes into healthcare delivery that is that determines how we practice medicine. Um, and the AMA really allowed me to get a knowledge base and have an education about that. So I joined the I joined the um, the chapter here and became the chapter president. Um, and then I get involved at a national level working on uh, a committee that reviews all of the resolutions that we discuss and debate at our um, our policy meetings twice a year, our national meetings. Um, and then I was also um, a region advocacy chair. So I got to see what advocacy looked like within the AMA, um, particularly, particularly from a medical student level. Um, and then I applied for this position in which I, you know, I have a year to deep dive into the issues uh, with our AMA advocacy staff, which has just been super exciting. Yeah. Did you really find out about these opportunities just after you joined the student chapter here? How did you find out about all of this? Definitely. So the um, the the student chapter here is really great, and it's kind of a jumping point into uh, what would be considered regional and national opportunities. The the medical student section of the AMA, so all of the AMA members that are medical students, amounts to about 56,000. Um, so there's a lot of people who are AMA members and benefit generally from like the educational opportunities, like getting a free copy of your first aid um, and 30% off Kaplan products. But you, you can also participate by going to conferences. There's a tons, of, tons of opportunities through our committees, through region activities to learn more about issues that you're most passionate about. So we have 16 committees right now um, within our medical student section that relate to you know, public health, um, women's issues, LGBTQ, minority issues, if you're interested in you know, scientific issues or talking about medical devices, for example, if you like to straight up review policy, you can do that. Um, so I, I met a few people who were like, you know, come to a meeting. And my first meeting was actually in February of 2017, almost two years ago. And it was uh, what's called the Medical Student Advocacy and Region Conference. And it is essentially a three-day-long conference in which 500 medical students coalesce in D.C. and have a big hill day. So you day one is really learning about the issues. And then day two, you go to the hill and you um, advocate on behalf of the AMA as a medical student member on anywhere from three to five issues. Generally, graduate medical education. Um, last year, we talked about gun violence. We talked about immigration-related issues. Um, so I got to see the power of not only understanding the issues, but the power of advocacy very early in my medical uh, school career. And that was, um, I think, kind of a life-changing experience to a certain extent because I knew what I was learning in the classroom was incredibly important to be a good physician, um, but to be a player in the healthcare system as a whole and uh, be able to impact physician or be able to impact patients' lives was um, was going to require a knowledge base that I wasn't necessarily learning um, on the day to day um, in med school. So that was that was the outlet in which I got involved was attending meetings and you get to meet a bunch of amazing people from all over the country. Like I have friends in almost every state. It's, it's really wild. Yeah. That's so cool. So, so what does like advocacy then look like when you're on the Hill? And I know that's a really popular conference and a couple of my friends in different medical schools also went to the conference and they had a blast too. Um, but what do you like actually like do? Are you like talking with congressmen, congresswomen? Is, is that kind of the, yeah the method of, okay. Yeah. So you're, um, generally, 
generally you have a um, every Congress uh, every congressperson has um, a health LA or now a lot of them have two just because the the healthcare related issues in the political space and on the hill um, both legislatively and regu- and from a regulatory perspective are a huge priority um, for the most part the Democratic um, uh, in the Democratic primaries and in the 2018 election uh, healthcare was a kind of a foundation for a lot of the political agendas and uh, campaigns. So, what you what you see is you'll um, you'll have a contact either with a health LA, and I would say about half the time you're actually meeting with your congressperson as well, and you are briefed on these issues. So again, graduate medical education, we talk about gun violence. We also talked about drug pricing last year, and the reality of the situation is that. A lot of times, congressmen and women um, don't necessarily have direct experience with the healthcare um, environment, um, with medicine in general. So they really rely on the perspective of people coming in and saying, "Hey, here are the issues." You know, obviously, their health LAs too are supposed to be kind of up to date um, and informed about the issues. But we provide a very unique perspective not only as students but as physician physicians in training. We're also constituents, so. You know, I'm from Chicago, uh, so I, I um, would meet with Senator uh, Dick Durbin and Tammy Duckworth and then my representative. But if you're, you know, say you're from California, but you go to Stretch, you would go and talk with your representative from um, California. And because you are a constituent, your voice does matter, one. And because you are a physician in training, your voice matters even more. So um, that's a really cool experience for a lot of people, and you'll find that there's really fruitful conversations that happen between the students in the health LAs, the congressmen and women ask questions, and you really are the source of important information for policy decisions that will be made down the line. The topics that you're bringing up um, when you go have these meetings, those are set by the AMA? Yeah, yeah, so it's... um, um, every year we talk about graduate medical education. Unfortunately, um, and this is something that we talk about a lot, in 1997, the Balanced Budget Act um, capped the number of, uh, or capped the amount of funding, essentially residency positions that were offered to health systems and hospital and hospitals. So a- as we kind of combat an aging population to a certain extent, and um, unfortunately, sicker people that are living longer, we need more residents, we need more physicians, which means we need more um, residency positions to actually train them because I don't know about you, but I, I wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable just going out into the world and practicing after um, uh, after medical school, and oftentimes you can't. <laughs> but there's a fundamental misunderstanding that like uh, that we need residency positions to be a to be board certified physicians. So um, a lot of times you'll hear, oh, we need to open more med schools. And you're like, well, yeah, we have more, we have more medical students that are graduating with an MD, but we don't necessarily have more doctors. So um, the priorities are important too, because we have a huge policy compendium as the AMA and really narrowing down the, the high yield topics for students to not only learn about, but then to go out and advocate for is really important, and it also increases the weight and logis- legitimacy of our voice when we participate in these exercises. So your title is Government Relations Advocacy Fellow. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean, and like, what do you do in your fellowship? Yeah, totally. Um, that's a good question. It's one that I ask myself, too. Um, <laughs> So I am graph number 15 of this program. So I'm the, the 15th person to hold this position. And it's really evolved from what I understand over the past 15 years. Um, and the direction that I've really taken is um, treating it like a fellowship. So when we're in training as, as medical students or rather as residents, you, you have residency training and then you have fellowship. So the way that I'm framing this experience is learning as much as I can. So I participate or get to like work alongside of and sometimes for these people that are really experts that have an expertise in very specific subject matter that relate from immigration-related issues, which are very complicated when we get into conversations about visas, you know, for example, graduate medical education, um, talking about quality payment and what value-based care is really going to look like from a regulatory perspective, which is incredibly complicated, Um, cybersecurity, data privacy, medical liability issues, um, and then public health issues like gun violence and the opioid epidemic all the way to um, regulatory issues with like medical devices, um, digital medicine, what is AI and augmented intelligence going to look like for healthcare in the next 
two to five to ten years. So there's the way that I've treated um, my time thus far over the past six and a half months is learning as much as I can. And what you realize, kind of similar to a hospital structure when you come come in as a medical student, is that you have the least amount of knowledge, particularly when you're interacting with this cohort of people who have a lifetime of experience working in this space. So I've been really humbled by what I've learned thus far. And then I've also gotten to participate in projects, attend events once um, once people trust you. They're like, okay, this, this medical student has the ability to perform and wants to work with other people. So it really ranges. I'll have days where I go to the Hill with some of our congressional staffers. There's days when I'm working on charts for reviewing, you know, big pieces of legislation like the big op- big opioid package that just um, uh, that passed this past fall. Um, to attending meetings, attending meetings with other stakeholders um, like the double AMC, for example, and then. Um, you know, I've gotten an opportunity to do some research and then participate in some of our comment letters that we send out about various issues, which really is kind of the AMA's voice in the national conversation about healthcare. So it really ranges. Um, I don't. I, I wouldn't say that there's one thing I do. I, I do many things, and I'm learning many things. Hmm. So, hmm. yeah. So are you the only graph right now? Is this a position where there's one medical student holding this at a time? Yeah, just one. Okay. So yeah. who do you report to, I guess? What is the... What is you, how do you fit into the structure? So I actually report to two people. I, I'm technically hired by the medical student section. So uh, the medical student section operations is actually run out of Chicago. But because I'm doing advocacy-based work, I, um, I also have a boss in D.C. who uh, runs one of the advocacy departments um, out in D.C. So I have two bosses. Um, but I get to work with the people who um, run w- one of the refcoms related to all of the advocacy items. So I get to kind of participate in the resolution writing and review process from a staff standpoint, which is really cool. And then I also get to kind of, um, I don't want to say advise, but inform medical students about that process and about our ongoing and current advocacy efforts. So there is a ton of interaction with the students as well. I, I run what's called the um, National Advocacy Week. So this year we talked about um, this year we talked about access to care issues. So um, increasing treatment options for opioid use disorder, chronic pain, things of that nature, substance use disorder. And we talked about drug pricing and then also immigration-related issues, um, such as the public health benefits of securing DACA status. So um, that's a national grassroots campaign that's that's offered to students in the fall. Um, so I also get to interact with students there. So it's it's really one of those situations where I have I'm kind of straddling two worlds, and, and it's wonderful and terrible all at the same time because there's just a different set of priorities with those two groups of people. But I wouldn't say different, two different set of priorities is not the right word. Um, but there's two very different activities that I'm expected to be involved in. So it's challenging, and but also an opportunity for growth in, term, in terms of managing those priorities appropriately. And kind of like touching on this idea of growth, you know, you're in, how, how long is it, six months right now that you're in, in this position, yeah. or you've been in it six mm-hmm. months? What have you gained so far from being you know, you stepped, you know, your first step on the hill mm-hmm. and like to now, and then where do you see yourself, you know, what are you going to be doing the next six months too? So I, I'm just curious because you sound like someone that has been very adamant, very up to date on what is going on in the world. And so even before you went into this fellowship, you really um, had a good understanding. So I'm wondering if your understanding of um, healthcare policy and student advocacy has changed in any way and, and what those perceptions are that you have. Yeah, um, I think that it, it's a great question. The The first six months has been, again, um, it's kind of like drinking from a, a, a fire hose or a fire hydrant, kind of similar <laughs> to med school, where you're like, you're taking in all of this information and you're processing it and you're like, am I going to survive? Yes. It, it Does it feel overwhelming? Absolutely. I think that I'll continue to feel overwhelmed by knowledge um, and information in this, in this space until I leave in June and come back to med school and will feel overwhelmed by it. A different set of information. Um, so what does it look like? Um, and what does student advocacy mean to me right now? I think that there's, um, it's interesting. I, I like to dissect this this question in a way that's very intentional because I think that we have advocacy because it drives people. Messaging at a large scale is important to get people to have the conversation in the first place. Um, so I think what I've learned is that 
is, is how to message that more, more appropriately to students, to physicians, to residents, um, to the general public about the issues that are going to make them more approachable to the layperson. The second thing, though, is that people who work in the policy space um, are professionals. So I work around 30 different lawyers because um, they entered into health law and they implement the policy that we pass because we're passionate about these 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 issues such as immigration and graduate medical education and drug pricing. But there's a lot of nuance in policy. And I think that what's unfortunate and what's concerning to me is the way that we're having local, state, national conversations is very black and white. And I, I don't want to say that, I don't want to say that, um, that policy is dry because there's people behind policy, but um, there's a lot of different sides to every single issue. And the people that I work with constantly, um, constantly interrogate um, how to implement that policy, what that policy means to the organization and to the patients that our physicians, uh, you know, our medical students, residents and physicians serve. So I would say, one, I think I've learned how to message um, larger ticket items to students in a way that will hopefully galvanize them and want to, you know, want to uh, have people pursue an interest in policy and advocacy. And then the second thing is I've, I've understood that that um, things aren't black and white, and um, that's difficult sometimes to get people interested in, in issues because I, I think we like to say, well, it's this or it's this, um, and that gets that gets people into the game in the first place. But there are parts of policy where we really need to, to step back, look at the facts, and um, kind of evaluate and build opinions in an evidence-based manner because um, sometimes, sometimes we don't. And that's okay because it gets people interested, but um, when we're talking about the implementation of this policy, at state, you know, at the state and national level, it needs to be evaluated really carefully, um, and that's something that I've learned with working with career professionals in this um, in this this area. So it's it's difficult because I want to say, like, this has been you know amazing and like everything moves so quickly and you know you can you can you know you can get interested in something and then there's going to be immediate action and sometimes there is, um, mm-hmm. but then other times it's a it's an incremental deliberate process that takes a lot of time, a lot of input from various stakeholders, and a lot of expertise from people who have been involved in these issues for years, if not decades. So that's a long-winded answer to that question, but um, it's, it's... it's not as sexy as you probably <laughs> wanted, but that's <laughs> that's, like, that's all I can say. It's yeah. it's really complicated, all mm. of it. <laughs> Definitely. And, you know, I, you know, kind of like thinking about that, though, because what are we in, like, day 22 of, like, partial government shutdown? Yeah. And I was curious, is, like, does that, like, drag on, on you specifically or, or any other advocate out there, lobbyist out there, just because just the, the amount of disagreement that's out there and the amount that we want it to be like black and white or mm-hmm. issues to be black and white and the clear answer. I feel like that's just got to wear on people, you know, because we're trying to get things moving or mm-hmm. hopefully people are trying to get things moving. But, you know, especially as like a lay person, just like kind of seeing no results, you're just like, oh my gosh, like this is just bogus, you yeah. know? So like, what would you say, I guess, ha- has your opinion about, you know, the feeling of, of policy and lobbying and, and, almost like like you said kind of like the droning on of of or the difficulties i guess of uh of advocacy like has that slowed you down at all you know i think that it's important to distinguish policy from politics and what we're seeing a lot right now is politics and it's um disrupting the way that we craft and implement policy that affects people in a very um real way uh, as we're seeing from you know news coverage about people who work paycheck to paycheck, you know I think I've I've been there where I've been working paycheck to paycheck to make my rent and you know save my money. I was like I'm going to med school and you know I'm putting my first paycheck to rent and then my second paycheck goes to you know what I can spend for the rest of the month. Um, and that's that is the reality for a lot of Americans. So that's the first thing I think is uh, is important to state is that politics is um, politics is not policy. Uh, for the most part, and that's unfortunately affecting a lot of people. Second is, um, this is something I think working in D.C. and working in this space has really, I don't want to say it's brought me more to the center, because I feel like that's a dirty word, um, but I will say that I have, again, you know, just me, not not as a spokesman for the AMA, I have real concerns about the way that we're really pushing partisanship in our country on both sides of the aisle. What we see is when uh, what we see is when we're kind of unseating or removing room for people who are considered moderate, we see a lack of compromise. 
again, in a way that uh, affects, that is driven by politics, which affects policy, which affects real people, um, which has an impact on real people. So I have very serious concerns about that. And in when I have these conversations, I think that talking about bipartisanship will continue to be important. Um, so when we talk about progressive politics, when we talk about conservative politics, that's okay, as long as we recognize that there is a need for compromise at a certain point. Again, I don't believe in compromising about anything that's happening at the border. I believe in I believe in a fifteen dollar minimum wage, um, a living wage, and things of that nature. But uh, when people are yelling into the wind on different sides of the world, then there really is nothing for us to talk about in the middle, and that that slows governance and affects real people. So it's that I think that's been really enlightening because I still consider myself um, I still consider myself liberal. I still very much identify with the Democratic Party, but I hope that moving forward we can find solutions to real problems um, that will most likely require reaching across the aisle and saying we both have constituents to answer to do we want to play politics or do we want to get the job done and I think that that's maybe not as nuanced as um, other people expect it to be or uh, how other people feel but um, the lack of bipartisanship in our country is is going to have very real effects Um, and historically speaking we're entering into an era where we've not seen this type of um, partisanship ever the last point here like 15 years ago there was something like God, it started in the late 1990s, from what I understand. But um, about 20 years ago, we had, I, I think, about 60, 60 or so senators and representatives that considered themselves bipartisan, like actively were like, I am a bipartisan candidate in Congress. That number is now one. So One when, person? One person. Um, it's frustrating, to say the least. Mm-hmm. And I think that... Um, the next six months, the next two years, the next five years, we'll see what happens in 2020, we'll really mm-hmm. um, write the script for what political history looks like um, in the near future. Yeah. In addition to this divide between people acting according to their party beliefs and, and not wanting to compromise, do you also see a divide between people who have been in their positions for a long time and people who are trying to come in and, and try, try something new? Because it seems like once something is already set in place, in order to go in and make a change, it's just so much harder than than um, if that was the, you were trying to set the policy in the first place. It's, it's probably harder to unseat um, a policy versus just starting a new policy, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um... I think that there's there's amendments um, there's amendments to I, I would say that there's amendments to policy all the time. So like in the big piece of opioid legislation that was passed in the fall, I you know I reviewed that 300 page piece of legislation that is now law that referenced 25 to 30 different other pieces of um, pieces of law and regulation. So and, and made amendments to it. So I think that the, there are definitely instances when that happens and is um, is uh, I don't want to say celebrated, but is welcomed to a certain extent. Um, in terms of new policy, I think when I, I think when you have something like talking about overhauling the healthcare system or creating a new um, climate committee or you know the new, the Green Deal, that is a piece of that is a piece of policy that's uh, monstrous to a certain extent and um, and probably again welcomed. I mean, I think we absolutely need to address climate change. There's issues within our healthcare system that also need to be addressed. So when we talk about making policy changes, it, it, in terms of the resistance, I think that really depends on um, how big uh, the policy is and what are the implications of, of, of that policy in terms of implementation, both fiscally and from a personnel standpoint and uh, impact and, and, and all of that jazz. So I think that's a, it's a complicated question. Um, and I think it really depends on how big the policy is and what it actually relates to. You said you you're kind of talking about climate change and, and some of the the more hot topics that are that are being talked about right now. What do you envision being, uh, I guess, like a hot topic or or something that will definitely need to be addressed within the next like five years? So, the day of inauguration, the, the for the new um, members of Congress. And the passing of power in the House of Representatives from Republicans to Democrats, I actually, you know, I reached out to one of our one of our Democratic lobbyists, and I was because we have Democratic and Republican lobbyists because we are a bipartisan organization. I said, you know, can I come up with you to the Hill on Thursday? Because they, uh, all of the, not all of them, but a lot of um, representatives and senators have kind of open open houses for people to come through, get to know us, you know, drop off your card. 
people call call it the swampiest of swamp days. Um, but in a way where you're walking through the halls and you're like, oh my, you know, you, people are like, oh, how you been? Like, where are you working now? And um, <laughs> you realize that there's all of these people that have known each other for years and years and years and again, have tons of experience on various subject matter. And it's the coolest thing. That being said, so I got to, I was on the Hill um, mm-hmm. during that day and it was the coolest thing. It was just, it was absolutely awesome. And I was in, um, I got to be in the room for, the passing of the gavel for the Energy and Commerce Committee for the House of Representatives when it's, you know, it's the first time that Democrats have had power in eight years. And um, uh, the chairman, the now Democratic chairman of that committee, Frank Pallone from New Jersey, he, you know, he comes out, uh, he comes out of the gate and was like, here are the three items that Energy, House, House Energy and Commerce, which is a huge committee, they do everything from like telecom to healthcare to government oversight, you know, to oversight and investigation. So he said, um, the three big items, number one being climate change, number two um, being talking about ECA stabilization efforts. So unfortunately, this administration has taken very deliberate steps to kind of undercut the validity um, and the stability of the Affordable Care Act. Um, so that's number two. And then three, they were like, we're going to get into it about investigations, not only to um, not only about the issues at the border, because there was never from the House, um, from the House Energy and Commerce Committee, there was not one hearing about what was happening at the border. Um, so th- those were the the three big ticket items from House Energy and Commerce: global climate change, which will definitely affect not only individuals in the United States but individuals around the world. You know, we already see it, and as healthcare providers, we're going to be the people responding to that, to the health implications for natural disasters, but also um, in, in, in a way that climate change affects everyday lives. to the Affordable Care Act, because it still provides universal access to um, health care coverage for millions of Americans. Um, and then three, talking about what happened at the border and really diving into to investigating those issues, because they do have an impact, they are serious, um, and they've affected a ton of people. So those are the those are the, that's what I'm looking forward to, and I would say the the direction of the Democratic Party will I think be really in line with uh, the three tenets that were stated um, in that in that meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you think it's going to look like for you as you wrap up your time in this position and, and return back to school? How are you going to take what you've learned back when you're here studying and working um, as a medical student, and then also into your future career? It's a good question. I honestly people are like do you know what you want to do with the rest of your life and I'm like I have no idea well according to your resume it says that um, Blake is a medical student who is interested in general surgery so is that something still like is that aligned with what you want to do so it's it's in direct opposition to it actually so everyone's (laughs) like you know I one of the things that kept me sane second year was I did the APEP which is the anesthesiology mentorship program Mm -hmm. and I got to get into the OR probably like at least once a month. And the anesthesiologist that I was working with particularly did cardiothoracic anesthesia. So it was, it was just a moment where I, I, it was my happy place. You know, when I, when I was dredging through parasites and, and, you know, the viruses and bacteria, I was like, all right, you know, maybe I'll just go and get in, get into the OR today or this week and everything will be okay. So there was a part of, there was a part of surgery that I feel very um, drawn to. My mom was an OB and she, um, she did, she was an MFM to a certain extent, um, but I grew up in a hospital and I've always loved the OR. I've always loved the kind of the activity of that space in healthcare. That being said, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of training um, and there isn't necessarily space to be involved in a lot of advocacy and policy activities. So moving forward, there's definitely going to be considerations and a lot of thought and time put into um, what I'm interested in in healthcare, what I'm interested in medicine. So that's that's kind of a TBD. Coming back to how do I translate this knowledge uh, back to not only the medical student section at large, but how do I bring some of this to, to Loyola? Um, I'm still really figuring that out. I think that I have to be very intentional about Um, one, not sounding like too preachy because I don't want to come back and be like, you know, I spent a year in D.C. because I think that that's definitely (laughs) something that could be um, viewed negatively. But I do feel like I'm, I'm a holder of certain knowledge that I want to share like I can't I can't wait to come back and have conversations with people who want to have those conversations because it's really about getting people involved in things that they're interested in Mm -hmm. so um as you know, I mean, Loyola is a huge uh, is a huge advocate for um, the DACA program for DACA students, and it's something that will be addressed, I think, pretty rapidly as the case potentially gets kicked to the Supreme Court sooner rather than later. 
So I, I look forward to coming back and having conversations about that. Where does Loyola fall in that conversation and how can we continue to be advocates? Because I know that the, the bioethics and ethics program um, at Loyola has done a ton. So that's one of the issues that I really look forward to having conversations about. And then also just, I think it's, again, it's like really sexy to be in D.C. and like talk about congressmen, but I can't wait to, I can't wait to have conversations with elected representatives um, and senators at the state level and then also getting involved in um, Chicago politics to a certain extent because I think that there's still there's a lot of public health issues there's a lot of infrastructure issues there's a lot of healthcare issues in the city of Chicago in which people that you can have conversations with um, are much more approachable and reachable you know to a certain extent so how do we get the medical community involved in those policy conversations at the local state and national level so those are those are three different things <laughs> those have three different answers um, and, and it's one that I'm very much started to ruminate on but it's it's a it's complicated because you want to do it right and mm-hmm. there's a lot of different ways that you can um, bring that knowledge bring that messaging and um, and bring that intention back to this space wow yeah well, I'm riled up, so let's I go. Know. <laughs> yeah. I know you're, uh, you're having fun where you're at, but we can't wait to have you back here. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, and then I'm, it's also I'm going to get smacked across the, the face with third year. Like, I'm, you know, like in all reality, that's I'm going to have to put my Politico away and save it for, you know, my Saturday and Sunday mornings, maybe, if I'm lucky. So it's also like I'm a med student first. And this is this is kind of a side note, but it's really exciting when you first get involved with the AMA as a med student because you feel so invigorated by all of this. But you cannot be a good advocate. You cannot be a good physician without being a good med student. Kind of transitioning to talking about how, you know, like we can be a student advocate. Not everyone can be like a graph, mm-hmm. um, but there are, you know, obviously opportunities um, similar to that. So what would you recommend to students or uh, whoever out there, if they want to be an advocate for healthcare policy, how do they go about doing that? So I think the first, the, the very first thing that you need to do is build a knowledge base. So, um, you know, if you're interested in pediatrics, join your American Academy of Pediatrics. If you're interested in surgery, join the American College of, um, of Surgeons. If you're interested in internal medicine, join the American College of Physicians. I think that getting involved in your specialty organizations and then also the AMA gives you resources, just like baseline resources to understand some of the issues that you will encounter when you practice medicine. So sometimes people are like, oh, I don't want to be an AMA member because, you know, I'm, I'm an ophthalmologist and what is what does um, the AMA do for me as an ophthalmologist? And, you know, that applies to a lot of different specialties across medicine as a whole. But what it does provide is, um, is knowledge. So we have resources in terms of, you know, things that relate to advocacy updates. What are, the, what are the issues in, you know, in pediatrics, for example, that are affecting providers today? And I think that that's a starting point for a lot of people. What gets you, what gets you excited? What gets you interested when you're talking about medicine and potentially the specialty that you want to practice moving forward? So one, building that knowledge base. Also, if you like politics, there's, there's a bunch of newsletters that you can read on a daily and weekly basis that just get you jazzed. The second thing is, uh, the second thing I think is being an active participant in um, programming here. So um, one of the things that I've really enjoyed is um, like our ethical grand rounds. There's, uh, which I haven't gone to many of them, but uh, I think that there's an opportunity to understand the advocacy space as, a re- as it relates to those student organizations, um, very much so. And then three, having conversations with having conversations with your local. Um, with your local elected representatives and officials, which I think I now feel empowered to do, but it needs to be something that we have conversations about more often. Um, the fourth thing that you can do too is uh, really reach out to your physician mentors, because I think that being an advocate requires you to be empowered, and in the healthcare space, that can seem really scary as a medical student. So talking to your physicians and talking to your residents about some of the issues that they're experiencing um, in the healthcare delivery space is is really important because you have a knowledge base as a medical student about you know what what does medicine look like from a student perspective, but what are the issues that physicians are experiencing and how can you get a grasp on those issues? Um, the last thing is like attending national meetings for either your specialty organization for the AMA because um, that's where that's really going to be an opportunity to open your eyes into the opportunities that exist and it's something that you just really don't get access to or information about unless you attend meetings. Um, and again, in the specialty space, AMA. If you're interested, you know, in medical education, I know a lot of people who are involved in um, in medical education conferences. So, again, it's multifaceted. But the number one thing that you can do is um, read. You know, very 
very minimally, read um, about the topics that you're interested in. Two, get involved in your specialty organization or join the AMA because I think that um, what you do realize is that these these organizations exist to advocate for you, um, and in a way, you, you become an advocate as a participant of that organization. And then three, yeah, attend, did I say attend national meetings? Attend national meetings. So th- those would, I would say, those are like the three, the three big things, knowledge, student participation in, um, in those specialty societies, and then attend national meetings. And mm-hmm. from there, it kind of opens a, a plethora of different opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it seems kind of daunting to me. There's so many different topics, but I guess, like you said, once you start to look at them, you'll find something that you're interested in, and then you can really pursue that one topic um, a lot deeper and, and have a lot more meaningful experience. Totally, yeah, and I think that a lot of people get, I find, too, that a ton of M3s get involved as opposed to M1s and M2s once they get onto the um get into the hospital and they're like, oh, wait, I'm really passionate about this, but this patient population is experiencing this issue in X, Y, and Z, and I want to be able to solve this problem or help solve this problem. You also find, too, that when you're part of organizations that offer solutions to the issues with the patients that you're serving, you feel empowered by that knowledge, and it's actually really protective for issues like burnout because it gives you not only a knowledge base but an outlet to pursue next steps to really help the patients that you're serving. Even if it's, you know, again, at a local level, at a state level, at a national level, having a voice in the conversation means more than just practicing medicine. Yeah, definitely. It's difficult as someone who is coming into the healthcare field and then seeing some of the issues that we have in the healthcare field, it can be really discouraging to to know that in a way, if you're not advocating, you're going to be part of the problem if you're complacent with the issues that are going on. So it definitely could help with those feelings if we start to get involved and do the things that uh, really we need to be doing. It's so hard too because like we how how idealistic do you know do we write our applications to mm-hmm. med school about changing the face of medicine and being the best provider that we can but we're you know there's certain situations in which we're set up to fail like healthcare delivery is really an issue for us as physicians and particularly for the patients that we serve. So you know I have not gone through my third year and I have not experienced what that looks like so there's to a certain extent I'm, you know, on a soapbox inappropriately for, for all intents and purposes. But I think it's a really hard transition from M1 to, you know, M, M1, M2 year to M3 to even into residency because we're just not equipped with a tool set most often to handle some of the issues that we that aren't medicine but are related to healthcare. Um, so I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. Um, and you kind of touched on like the methods of, of where you find this information but was there like a resource for you that was that that you either look at every day that you're like okay like this is this is kind of like how I stay up to date on things or or is there something in particular that you would recommend like specifically totally yeah so I think the quickest read for medical students and I get it every single morning and it takes literally all of seven minutes is the Axios Vitals Axios is like a newsletter um, and they have essentially 10 points of what's happening in healthcare today and it's all of like I would say six sentences per per point and it has like you know if you want to learn more here you know here's the links so that would be like my my biggest recommendation the AMA has like an AMA morning rounds about um, which kind of melds research and advocacy um, and that comes out every single morning it's a little bit longer and then Politico has Political Pulse has a great resource but it's more of like a 20-minute read so unfortunately I commute to work uh, or I commute to school I commute to school I actually walk to work but it's a seven-minute walk and I growing up in the city I would take the train you know to 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 school and all of that jazz so there isn't that built-in time anymore um, particularly for students that have to drive which is unfortunate and even having that 20 minutes uh, can sometimes feel like taking out a lifetime in terms of your study schedule so the axios vitals has been awesome for me especially at the beginning just learning to digest very basic information so that's a that's a great resource that's awesome we'll link those um in our episode description so our listeners can go check them out yeah so specifically for you blake uh one of our listeners actually wrote a question and uh this is the description of it so if you can answer it that'd be awesome um so yeah so this is what one of our listeners wrote the ama is a major voice in the discussion of healthcare but there are other lobbyist groups with equal political, colloquially like clout or prestige, I guess. Can you talk a little bit about the interactions and relationships? Um, This could be like collaborative versus antagonistic, or if you have no interactions with, you know, the AMA with other advocacy groups. 
Definitely. I mean, we, I, I would say one of our biggest interactions, and we've seen this a lot with uh, a lot of the immigration-related issues this past fall um, with issues of the zero tolerance policy and separation of families at the border, was we worked very closely with the AAP, American Academy of Pediatrics, American Academy of Family Physicians, um, American College of uh, Obstetrics and Gynecology, ACOG, to really build a coalition which strengthens the power of the voice and the message that we're sending to the administration when we say we so adamantly oppose um, what's happening in terms of this policy that, again, is affecting real people. So oftentimes we work very closely with our provider and physician groups across all specialties to, to again, build coalitions. And from the provider and physician um, community as a whole, we need to stand in opposition to X, Y, and Z. So we oftentimes work very, very closely in conjunction with a lot of um, specialty groups to, again, strengthen the the message that we're trying to send in either to a legislative or regulatory body. I mean, it's really cool to see because I think that for the most part, we, we have very similar priorities. Um, and again, that it, it relates to ensuring that patients have access to quality and affordable care. Wonderful. Um, And then I actually have one quick question. So take us through the process of becoming a government relations advocacy fellow. And so let's say like I'm listening to this right now and I am totally jazzed about doing what you do. So how did how did you go about applying, you know, getting in? What's that process like? Yeah, so first you need to be an AMA member. <laughs> That's that is um On step it. one. Yeah. <laughs> and um just as a little plug, it's only sixty eight dollars for four years of membership, um, which is less than twenty dollars a year if you sign up as an M one and I think it's like fifty bucks as an M two prorated from there, which is like just uber affordable and I, I could go on and on. But I think that one of the things that really strengthened my application was being involved in the medical student section. Again, we're, we're a section of 56,000 people, of uh, 56,000 students, as 56,000 physicians in training, and we'll be a large part of the membership of the AMA moving forward, which means we're going to be a large part of the voice of the AMA moving forward. That being said, so I, I got involved um, at the chapter level here or the school section level here at um, the Stritch School of Medicine. And um, then I got involved in regions. So this is kind of a technical thing, but our section, because we are so big, is broken down into seven different regions. So I think we're in region two, so it's like Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, Missouri, and I'm forgetting one more, which is really terrible, I think. No, I think that's it. So the region breakdown allows students from schools in a geographically close um, location to be uh, to interact with each other and to organize around specific topics, specific resolutions, um, which are policy items, and different opportunities. So I got involved as the Region 2 Advocacy Chair. So I got to really help distribute and coordinate advocacy-related activities, which then I think benefited my application. The third thing was getting involved in the resolution writing process. So when we talk about policy, these resolutions are like our draft bills, um, because the AMA is a democratic organization in which we have a Congress twice a year that gets together and talks about all of the policy items that are drafted. Um, We we debate them, and then we either adopt them or we don't adopt them. So understanding that process has been really fruitful and very insightful, and I got to learn a ton, because I reviewed anywhere from like 10 to 20 resolutions about a variety of topics. I actually got to, I think it was a year and a half ago at the November 2017 meeting, I actually testified in one of our reference committees, which is kind of like our hearings on air ambulance reimbursement, which is just like, what does that mean? It's like the the rising costs of of riding in a helicopter to mm-hmm. move from point A to point B, which has uh, which has increased significantly and left a lot of patients with the cost of balance on that, which is just a random topic, but I got pretty knowledgeable about it. And from the medical student section, I was like, hey, here's how we feel about it. Um, It was actually a medical student written resolution. So um, I digress. Um, I had a variety of activities at my school. You know, I think that the DACA-related issues at Loyola really were very relevant also to my application because I talked about what advocacy looked like here at Stretch, and that resonated with um, not only the people I was interacting with in terms of um, the student base, but also the staff who said, you know, you can provide a perspective for us on this issue that will very much be a legislative item in the next year or so. I got involved in resolution writing and then also just having a passion for advocacy. So um, that being said, I applied... When did I apply? 
I applied in um, February of 2018 of, the, of last year, and then I um, actually interviewed at the at the conference, the Medical Student Advocacy and Region Conference, which is the big Capitol Hill day, and we interview. We're actually starting this process for my my successor. The person that will come after me, which just is terrible to think about and also wonderful. Um, <laughs> um, and we interview anywhere from three to five people, and then you're chosen for the position, and you start in June. So the most terrible pretty much week of my life was leading up to taking step one on June 8th, and and I took the test. And let me just tell you, make sure you study your biostats and your embryology and your anatomy because that's all that was on mine. Truly terrible. Five cardio questions. Really, USMLE? Really? Um, it was a nightmare. So I got into the back of my Uber, and I was like, I'm going to just ball for 20 minutes as I take a, you know, take a ride home. And I, that was concurrently when the AMA conference was happening, and I was elected to this, you know, or chosen for this position. So I was like, you know, I have to go and be seen and make sure that I'm making, you know, connections with people so they feel like they can reach out and we can work and collaborate. So, you know, I went home and I took a shower. I was like, I'm going to do my hair. I'm going to do my makeup. I'm going to put on a brave face. Here we go. And the first person I saw was like, oh my God, are you okay? And I was like, and I was like, it's showing. And I, was like, I was like, oh my gosh, I put so much makeup on my face. Like, really? You just must see that my, my heart is cold through my eyes. So that was an experience. And then my boyfriend and I packed up our van on, on Thursday or our truck on Thursday, drove overnight on Thursday, um, had Friday, Saturday, Sunday to, to set up our apartment um, with our feline child. And, and then I started on Monday, on June 18th. So it was, it was kind of this, it was um, really accelerated. So the, the, the application process was about two months long. And then I started on June 18th after taking steps. So it was really really accelerated and again kind of terrible but then also you know you get through it yeah yeah kind of like a lot of things in medical school yeah exactly <laughs> yeah people yeah. are like that's crazy I was like uh not compared to not compared to right. like my friends starting on general surgery as their first as their first rotation as an M3 but like I'll take it thank you so much <laughs> yeah definitely yeah. well like having you here has really driven home to me the fact that as a medical student we all have this view of what we want to be as a physician and what we want to stand for as a physician. And those, I've realized that those things are the things that we really should be starting now. We should be learning now and getting involved with now with the things that we're passionate about because you're not going to graduate and then just become that person that you have a vision of you. It's not too early to start it now. So thank you for sharing your experience with us. Mm -hmm. Thank you for coming on. We are so appreciative of your time, and um, we wish you luck in the last uh, couple months of yeah. of your position. I, I know my you'll second be half, my the second half of my tenure. Yes. That's sorry. what I like sorry. to think. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> um, the better half. Yeah, hopefully. exactly. <laughs> but uh, but thank you again, and um, uh, we'll keep in touch. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys so much for just offering this opportunity, and I I just want to drive home that um, advocacy looks like a many different things to students in many different parts of the country, and the biggest thing that you can do is just try to educate yourself to the best of your ability, and, and, and there's a lot of doors that open from there. So again, thank you guys so much, and I, I really look forward to getting back to Stritch. It's gonna be it's gonna be bittersweet leaving DC, but I can't wait to come home. Yeah, yeah we'll be excited to welcome you. Absolutely. I know, and I'll be joining uh, the class of 2021, so Ooh, I'll see you in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be great. I know. Thanks for listening to this episode. This wouldn't be possible without support from our listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate donations to help fund the production of this podcast. To support us, go to medicuspodcast.com, where you can additionally find show notes, links, and information about our guests. We are at Medicus Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have questions, comments, or episode suggestions, submit them on our website. This podcast is intended for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine. No patient-doctor relationship is formed, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.